Hello, everybody. Welcome to a very special bonus episode of Inside the Hexagon. I am your host, as always, Phil Anities. I want to thank you for taking the time to join us for today's show. On this special bonus episode, we are speaking with Dwayne Bang Ludwig, the man himself, talking about his Strike Force payback fight with Sammy Morgan, also touching on his overall Strike Force career, his fight with Eve Edwards at Destruction that we just discussed on our last episode. Uh, so there's a lot that we get to. I did want to apologize for the some of the auditory issues, uh, but I, I think you, you hear what Dwayne has to say, which is the important part. Uh, but I appreciate you taking the time to join us. So without further ado, let's get to it. All right, on the line with us, we have the man himself, Dwayne Bang Ludwig, multi-time kickboxing champion, long-time respected MMA event, current top MMA coach. Dwayne, how you doing, man? Thanks for joining us. Doing good, sir. Doing good. Thank you for having me on, and uh, glad I can finally make the show happen. So thank you. Absolutely. I mean, you were a big part of a lot of early strike force fights. I mean, your name is not necessarily mentioned along guys like Gilbert Melendez and Josh Thompson, Kung Lee, guys that were kind of kind of grew in in strike force because you were already an established guy but you you know you headlined some early cards and we're going to talk about uh, one of them a little bit in depth but let's kind of delve into the early part of your career you came into combat sports via kickboxing you won a multitude of amateur and pro titles and accolades you, and then you end up turning pro in both kickboxing and MMA in 2000 so what was it that got you into you know versus something like baseball or you know, maybe a little bit more of a traditional American sport, so to speak. What what made you want to get into to kickboxing and striking and that sort of thing? Bruce Lee. <laughs> oh, that's an easy answer. <laughs> yeah, Mr. Lee, man. I, that was, uh, he was uh, an idol. He was a father figure. He was a leader and an instructor. He was everything to me. You know, that came from my older brothers as well. And then uh, I uh, was blessed enough to cross paths with the, uh, he was Shihan at the time, but now he's Kancho, uh, Joko Nanomiya from uh, Inchin Karate. And he was a legitimate karate martial artist, competitor from Japan, won the All Japan Open in 78, moved to Colorado for whatever reason and opened up his dojo here. And I was able to cross paths with the real life Bruce Lee, you know, someone who actually walked the walk, talked the talk, and competed. Uh, so from the movie screen to a real life influence has been martial artists. So it was just a natural path for me to pursue that, to compete and, you know, want to get a black belt and become a world champion and, and so on. And here we are now. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, he inspired, you know, probably millions. And so, oh, yeah. so, yeah, so you're, you're one of them and one of them that made good on it for sure. Uh, another guy that, that helped you along in your, your early days, of course, was El Wapo Boss Rutten, who's a, a former guest on our show. And we talked a little bit about uh, about you during that, that interview. But how did you get hooked up with Boss? Were you aware of who he was and, and, all, and all that? And, and how did he come to train you? Yes, sir. Uh, when I did first meet Boss Rutten, I knew who he was. And I was teaching and fighting out of a local martial arts school. It was actually... Uh, a gymnastic center and then they had martial arts off in the corner you know I was teaching and training out of there and they had full-on MMA fights tough man fights kickboxing fights they had an actual professional cage the old battle cage I don't know if you know remember the show battle cage 
Um, no, I think Maurice, no, no, that's the no. show. Maurice, do you remember seeing a fight where Maurice Smith head kicked Conan Sevilla? Yeah, 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 yeah. It was okay, in yeah. that show, Battle, Battle Cade or Extreme Cage. I think it was called Battle Cade. So that ring, the owner of our school bought or that cage, bought that cage that was having full on fights. And uh, it was like literally uh, straight up UFC fights in Colorado. And John Peretti was coming out and uh, refereeing them. And he was the UFC matchmaker at the time. And he was able to get Boss out here as a special guest. And I was fighting on the shows. And then when he showed up, of course, I knew who he was. And then he would do a seminar after the show the next day. So I would typically fight, uh, win, and then come back to the seminar the next day and then be able to train with Sensei Boss Rutan. And when he was out here training and visiting, he realized that we are at a mile high above sea level. So the oxygen is thinner up here. And he realized that if he trained here in altitude, that he would be in better cardio uh, situation when he fought on sea level. So when he trained to fight Kevin Randleman for the UFC title, I was his main training partner out here in Colorado each and every day. So that's when we really grew together and bonded because of that training experience right there. And from then on, the rest is history. I'd always make a trip out to California to train with him. And he was always open and willing to help a young fighter pursue his path. So that was the next step in my martial art journey is to cross paths with Sensei Boss Rutan, another real life Bruce Lee, someone who's been there and done that. And uh, really took me under his wing and showed me how to train, what to train, the psychology, really dove into the actual competition aspect. So I, again, have been very blessed to cross paths with the greatest of martial artists that have come. So uh, it's my duty and obligation to now as an instructor is to pay that forward. Um, so that's how it cost pass with Sensei Boss Rutan. He came out here uh, as a special guest uh, on a show that I was fighting on. Uh, I and give you that short answer, right? <laughs> no, no. Hey, this is we're here to discuss. So no, no issue. And and uh, I'll just to clarify, you're correct. It's called Battlecade Extreme Fighting. And that was okay, uh, cool. Yeah, 1996. And, and Maurice yep. got the big win. And also mentioned, you know, Boss has been very open about dealing with asthma as a kid you you know he pushes yes oh two trainer which i believe you sell yes. on your bang movie tie website and, and so him being interested in being able to have better wind and i know that had effect that had affected him early on in his fight career so that makes a lot of sense mm-hmm. yeah um all right but but so one of the most important early wins of your career was definitely the 2000 victory over jens pulver who was considered you know one of if not the best lightweight in the world he was one of them for sure i actually watched it recently you nailed him with that that straight left you put him down and he actually slid under the bottom rope out of the ring like he was clearly hurt i don't don't know if you broke his nose or what but he was definitely hurt but that was a huge deal for you i mean you can make a case that really put your you know kind of staked your claim in the mma world yeah what what do you remember about that fight and and what did it mean to your reputation as a fighter what i remember about that fight is being so disappointed in myself that i did not ask Jens to put his UFC title up on the line as well because he was the current UFC lightweight champion and ranked the pound for pound number one fighter in the world right. as well at the time. So uh, once I started breaking him down and realizing how easy of a fight that was going to be, I was like, and then hearing him be lifting the interviews, I was like, all right, I want to say, put your title on the line as well. I mean, it couldn't, he couldn't have officially done that, but I mean, when I win, when I beat him, I want not only the UCC belt, which we were fighting for, but also right. the UFC belt because he had a couple of them at the time. And uh, so I just remember thinking, man, I'm going to beat this guy. I should have asked for that belt too, but I didn't want to be too cocky and stuff. So I didn't. 
uh, I was just quiet and kept training and looked at the outcome. But yeah, that's definitely the fight that put me on the map and uh, definitely built my reputation as a striker, let everybody know at the point then that they, they knew who I was at that point. Yeah, it was. And, and then you followed up with the Genki Sudo split decision win in the UFC, which yes, was sir. another. I mean, Genki, he's not remembered by a ton of, of, of people, fans today, but definitely the hardcore longtime fans. You know, we know who Genki Sudo is. And so you get in that split decision in what, you know, many consider to be a contender for fight of the year. You know, that's a big deal. You get a, you know, you have a couple losses, but then you get the UFC, then UFC record 11 second KO of Jonathan Galay. Uh, though yes, I, we have the whole thing about, you know, Dana Clock did it closer to six seconds he wanted to give you the mm -hmm. record and mark ratner and the, all that stuff that but I, regardless it was a blistering blistering ko uh, but as we mentioned you had a, a couple setbacks and one of them i want to talk about is the sammy morgan fight so you had the the initial yes, one at the ring of fire event um you you would end up getting the rematch in strike force which we're going to talk about in a sec in a second but before we get to those i wanted to ask you were fighting both kickboxing and mma at the same time it, you know a lot of fighters will if they have multiple disciplines, they'll compete in one and then, you know, go, go compete in another one, you know, and yeah. it's more like focused on MMA at this time. I'm just focused on kickboxing or jujitsu. Do you uh, feel that that looking back now, did that hurt your, your training or your momentum in MM, MMA? No, just staying busy. I, I probably should have uh, stuck to one to pursue it with more genuine concern and give it and not to be disingenuous to the career, because I think I would have been better off if I would have stuck to one. But um, I don't have too many regrets on what I've uh, been able to accomplish. But uh, then at the time, though, too, there weren't a lot of shows. So if I fought in just MMA, I'd fight you know, once every six months. I was just taking whatever fight I could take just to stay busy, though, too. So, but if I were to take two fights a year and focus on the grappling and the wrestling, I would have been a multiple-time MMA world champion. But, again, I'm not. I don't have too many, too, too many regrets. It's funny you mentioned that because Trevor Prangley, I interviewed him recently and he was points out too, like we see like the UFC running, you know, events every week and, and all that. And yeah, back in the, you know, early to mid two thousands, I mean, it was only every few months or so. So then there were not a lot mm -hmm. of top level shows out there. So you got to yep. keep yourself busy. makes sense. Uh, but another top level promotion does come along. Let's talk about strike force. You actually fought on three straight strike force events, the second, the third, and the fourth event. So you were, again, a big part of the early shows there. With Scott Coker's kickboxing background, I mean, you're obviously an easy choice to bring in. What were your thoughts on strike force? What had you heard about uh, the promotion as you as you entered its ranks? What I heard about, why well, I've always known Mr. Coker from the K1 days, and I fought for him. Uh, Oof, I fought ISK world title against Alex Gong on his K1 card. But so I was already familiar with Mr. Coker and him having a great reputation in the martial industry and as a promoter of being an upfront, honest guy. So uh, when I got the call to fight for Strike Force and realized that he was the promoter, I was like, I'm in. So it was more so fighting for him just to be a part of Coker's crew as well. That just was part of the, I guess, initial bump to make that happen it didn't really matter who we fought but um any other solid organizations they've been around for a long time doing kickboxing shows on ISK on, for uh espn the isk shows so i've always known of mr coker and strike force and when they opened the mma brand it was uh, a no-brainer yeah i i mean like i said you were a great fit and you have a bunch of other kickboxers like kung lee and brian schwartz mm -hmm. and brian warren but i mean josh thompson had done kickboxing so there that and and when we interviewed 
uh, Scott for this show, he made a point of saying, you know, it was called strike force for a reason, you know? And, and so you definitely fit in with that, mm, but mm. let's get, let's get into your fights with Sammy Morgan. So you first faced him 2003 ring and fi- ring of fire is over in 52 seconds. Uh, I recently watched that. Uh, he caught you with the left of the temple, followed up with a right hand as, as you were starting to fall. Now I, <laughs> Looking back now, I don't know if you've watched that, re- that that fight recently or if you remember it, but that ref, I don't know what he was doing because Sammy was just kind of laying in punches on the mat while you were clearly not able to intelligently defend yourself, and he kind of let it go too long, in my opinion, but those you know early days of, of MMA. Um, you mentioned in your lead-up to the rematch that your head wasn't in it during that first fight, that you didn't really come in prepared. What what happened in the lead-up? Did you just underestimate him? What, what was the... You know, that, that's uh, an excuse and my fault for not being up for the job, up for the task at hand. But when you go from fighting Jens Pulver, the number one lightweight slash pound for pound fighter in the world and fighting on the you know televised bigger cards and then you go to a smaller show, the Ring of Fire, I just wasn't as up for it. You know, I went from being a higher level guy to a back to a smaller show. And it was just my fault for, again, not being ready for the task at hand. I was fighting who was I fighting, and then he was fighting Dwayne Ludwig. So uh, it was, again, my fault for not taking him as serious as, sh- as I should have. And he was able to clip me on a lazy exchange. And But I'm very thankful that he, Sven Bean, and Scott Coker, Strike Force, were able to put the fight back together for a rematch in the future. Yeah, so let's let's talk about that because you so you do get the rematch five years later in Strike Force two thousand eight again in Colorado so in front of your, you know your home crowd, uh, somewhat controversial lossage uh, uh stop I'm sorry it's lossage huh, stoppage loss to Takanori Gomi in Japan right before this I watched oh, yeah. that you know I watched that and and I you know he cut you but I felt like you could have kept going you seemed to be able to keep going but they they stopped it and he got the win. Um, and then you'd also lost your last bout in strike force to Paul Daly at Shamrock versus Brony. So this was a big deal because you get to, you know, get back in a chance to get back in the win column, a chance to get back in the win column in strike force and a chance to avenge, you know, a, a loss from five years earlier that, you know, you probably should have won. So how big of a deal was it for you to get that kind of opportunity? It was a huge deal. It was very uh, rewarding on many levels, spiritually, emotionally, uh, career wise as well. So it was uh, that fight was special to me because I wanted to obviously get the rematch and the way he was able to stop me was uh, a blow to my ego as far as being a striker and being able to get outstruck by someone who shouldn't have been able to do that was annoying. So again, I was just thankful for the opportunity to come back around and I'm glad that he accepted it because him fighting me when I'm focused isn't a great idea for his career. Well, he would, yeah, I was saying he would find that out. Uh, let's talk about the fight itself. So, Sammy looked, he actually, he looked really good early on, got a nice takedown from the clinch, can, you know, seem to be kind of controlling the action. However, you were weathered that early storm, you get back to your feet, got a nice kind of trip kick takedown of your own, and then you landed what would end up being the, the beginning of the end of the fight. Very nice left hand to the body. It looked like a liver shot and the commentators of course referenced boss and, and, you know, his famous affinity for liver shots, but it actually could have been to the sternum. It was hard to kind of see live or on, on, on replay. Uh, but yeah. It's not a good angle. Yeah. Yeah. But either way you, you nailed him uh, under the rib cage really well. Uh, and, and it was the beginning of the end. You get a nice follow-up shot to the face, which is ironic because that was it was similar to the one that he got you clipped you with the follow-up in the first yep. fight. Morgan goes hey, down. Yeah, Morgan goes down. You pour it on till he starts tapping. But very very big win for you. You got a, a nice shot to the gut while he was on his back. 
very, very big win for you. And, and so before I want to talk about your reaction after the fight, because you were extremely respectful of Sammy and, and what ends up being his retirement fight, but what were your thoughts on the fight? What did you do differently this time? You just, your head was in it and you were ready. Yeah, that was it. Just my head was in it and I was ready. So you answered it exactly. Uh, I was just ready for, ready for it this time. So, uh, it was nice to learn that lesson, but uh, later on, as the career goes on, you just go through some fights you're more excited for than others, and that was uh, one that I was turned up and ended up being excited for. So, it's uh, just a good reminder to be ready for the task at hand, not to take anything lightly. There you go. There you go. So you end up uh, following up on the Sammy Morgan rematch with a pretty quick turnaround. You beat Eve Edwards the following month at another Strikeforce event. Eve, obviously another former top lightweight. You got him by decision at Strikeforce Destruction, so that was a big deal. You have one more Strikeforce fight, then you head into the UFC, and you fought there seven straight times to end your career there, retiring in 2012 with a 21-14 and 14 record uh, in MMA. Uh, obviously very successful, very well-known. But looking back now, uh, how do you feel about your fighting careers that you, you feel like you, you got what you could out of it? You, you feel like you wish you would have done anything differently. Uh, what, what are your feelings now as you look back specifically on your MMA career? Uh, not too many regrets. It would be nice to go back and fix a couple of things if you could. But uh, overall, I've learned a lot of great lessons and was able to establish a lot of relationships and, and grow them. And I'm in the position now to pay all the lessons I've learned in my fighting career forward now as a teacher. So I'm in a much happier position in life and mentally and spiritually and physically so it's nice but uh, as far as the career you know it was fun i got to travel the world with my wife and my trainers and got to see a lot of things and experience things that uh, hollywood makes movies about so it's been good there you go maybe you're gonna be some bruce lee to some other kid you know and, and inspire hopefully people. yeah it'd be well. nice to inspire people yeah, yeah. All right. Well, you mentioned your coaching and we're, we're, we're winding things down here. I got just a couple more questions for you, but I did want to mention uh, your, you know, your current career, you've trained champions and contenders like TJ Dillashaw and Joseph Benavides. Uh, You created the bang Muay Thai martial arts system, which is taught in schools around uh, the United States. And so, I mean, in other words, you're very busy, man, still making a big impact on combat sports. I know you're on Twitter and, and Instagram. Uh, if, if, if there's one place that you want to mention where listeners can, can go to learn more, if they want to go to one of your gyms or your uh, affiliate gyms, affiliated gyms, where can, where can listeners learn more? Uh, Bang Muay Thai kickboxing.com is the uh, website. And that'd be a good, a good spot to start the journey of virtual learning and get the basics down into coming to the school and grow from there. So I guess the website would be the first stop. All right, there you go. All right, final question, then we'll let you go. Uh, looking back now, if, if you wanted someone, someone, you know, they've never heard of Dwayne Bang Ludwig, but they want to, you know, they want to know who you are, were as a fighter. Is there one specific fight that you would point them to say, this is the one where I put it all together. This is the one that showcases what I was all about as a fighter. Uh, I guess it'd be the UFC fastest knockout because it shows the precision, the composure, the timing, the accuracy, uh, the setup the delivery, like all those aspects were condensed into four seconds. So that'd be a, a good one to look at. Awesome. All right. Well, Mr. Ludwig, I appreciate you taking the time to join us on uh, inside the Hexcon. It was a pleasure speaking with you. You as well. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. All right. I want to thank my very special guest, Dwayne Bang Ludwig for taking the time to join us for today's bonus episode. It was great again, connecting with him and I appreciate him taking the time to talk with us. Coming up in just a few days, we're going to drop our interview episode with Babalu Sobral, 
former Strikeforce light heavyweight champion. We get into uh, his career, his win over Bobby Southworth, uh, as well as talking about his physical condition. Now he's dealing with a lot of physical issues, and he's very open and frank with me about that. So it's a very, very intriguing discussion. Hope that you will tune in for that. That you have, if you have not already, make sure you subscribe so you get that episode when it drops. Also, make sure you check us out on Twitter and on Instagram at the Hexagon Pod. And then finally, of course, I would love to hear from you. You can reach me at phil at insidethehexagon.com. I would love to get your feedback. And please don't forget to rate and review the show. But with that, we're going to go ahead and ride off into the sunset. Hope that you stay safe and you stay healthy. And we will see you soon. Hey there, and welcome to the Joy of Paddle podcast, hosted by me, Minter Dial, a veteran of the paddle tennis world, and sponsored by Paddle 1969. Whether you're a paddle tennis aficionado, just beginning, or have never even heard of paddle, or padel, as it's called in North America, this is an exhilarating new show that delves into the captivating stories of notable paddle personalities worldwide. In its inaugural season, you'll be treated to exclusive anecdotes, valuable tips, life lessons, and humorous moments shared by esteemed professional paddle players, industry insiders, and passionate paddle enthusiasts. With each season aligning with the Pro Tour, you can anticipate two engaging episodes per month. The Joy of Paddle Podcast is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, where you can find other great shows in a number of categories, such as sports, health and wellness, true crime, and fiction. To find out more about Evergreen Podcasts, go to www.evergreenpodcast.com. Vamos! Vamos!